What's the first step in becoming a better steward of your money? Understanding that it's not your money. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at biblical giving, a discipline historically embraced by God's people to honor Him for His provision. From 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his timely message, Taking a Pledge to Give. You know, Sir Pastor, I have been teaching stewardship for over 50 years. Every January, we take three weeks and we focus our attention on what the Bible says about giving. We have no other source of income in our church, and yet uh, God has used the faithful tithing of his people to enable us to send $4 million to missions last year to support all kinds of things that happen along with the incredibly exciting and growing church here in San Diego. At the time that we had COVID-19, we had to quit taking offerings in the normal way, and we've never gone back to the old way. People give because this is the discipline of their life. They love God. They want to be invested in His work, and as they give and see what God is doing with their resources, it's such a wonderful thing. I think that all is a part of what was happening back in Israel under the leadership of Nehemiah as he was teaching his people the importance of investing in the thing they really believed. This series, 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, is all about the building blocks to your spiritual walk. Uh, It's about obedience and about being concerned about sin. It's about worship. It's about accountability. It's about stewardship. And there are several more before we're finished. If you do not have it already, I would like for you to get the study guide that goes with this series, 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal. It comes with personal and group questions and a leader's guide, and it will enable you to take this to heart. Perhaps you'll want to get enough study guides for the people in your group so you can actually do a group study on these wonderful principles of spiritual growth. All of this available from davidjeremiah.org. Go there. You'll find a lot of material that's helpful to you in your Christian walk, all very accessible, easy to get. Well, here's part two of Taking a Pledge to Give. From Nehemiah chapter 10, let's walk into this study hall together. We are to give as they did in the Old Testament, systematically, proportionately, faithfully as we have determined to do in our heart. In other words, God is telling us that we are to plan and pray and prepare and not give haphazardly or spasmodically, but do it according to a plan. And every year we should take time and talk about what God has done and how he's blessed us and determined by the grace of God, this year is what I'm going to do for the things of the Lord. This is what God has laid upon my heart and then make a commitment to it and ask God to help you to make that commitment realized in your daily experience as a believer. And then I want you to note in this context that there is a proportion involved in this matter. Verse 32 says they gave a third of a shekel, which was the temple tax. Verse 37 speaks of the tithe. Verse 38 speaks of the tithes. I've talked to people on occasion about tithes, and I noticed that there's a lot of confusion among God's people about that term. Somebody said, I'm going to tithe 30%. Well, wait a minute now. Or I'm going to tithe 8%. But the word tithe means 10%. So you can't 10% 30%, or you can't 10% 8%. 
If you're going to give 30%, you're triple tithing. If you're going to give 9%, you can't use the word tithe because it doesn't fit. A tithe is 10%. And in the Old Testament, there were a number of tithes that the Jews were responsible to pay. There were three tithes in the Old Testament that the Jews had to pay. First of all, there was the temple tithe. This was an annual 10% given to the Levites to support the Levites in the temple, and it was something they were required to do. It was given from the fruit of the land and from the flocks and from the herds. It was a recognition that all man possessed belonged to God. That was the first tithe. And then there was the festival tithe, and you'll find that in Deuteronomy chapter 14. This was also an annual tithe given for the purpose of financing the annual feasts that the Jews celebrated. This tithe could be given in the form of goods, animals, or produce, or it could be converted into money. No man was allowed to neglect his service to God by pleading poverty. Every Jew had to give that second tithe. Now, if you know how to add, you know that one tithe plus two tithe, we're up to 20% already. And then there was a third tithe, or the benevolent tithe. This tithe was collected every third year for the poor. It served as a divine social security. They collected this money to care for the poor. So there were three tithes that the Jews paid, a tithe to fund the operation of the government, a tithe to support the religious feasts, and a benevolent tithe. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, you surely don't expect me to give 30% to the things of God. Well, you need to understand that the Jews lived in a culture and in an economy where the government and the church were all together. We don't do that. And I dare say that most of us, if we tithe to the Lord and pay our taxes, are pretty much where the Jews are. We're moving in that direction if we're not already there. If you add your tax together with your tithe and the other matters that you give to support the government and the state tax and the income tax for the government and the money that you give to God, if you're being obedient in your stewardship, you're probably somewhere close to where the Jewish people were. But of course, every third year, In addition to these tithes, he gave another tithe. And then on top of his tithes, he gave the offerings. And if you look through this passage, you will discover that there were many offerings for different things in the Jewish worship. The Jew gave a third shekel temple tax, which was used to provide the showbread and the grain for the sacrifices. And you'll see that in verse 32. He gave up the profit of his land during the Sabbath rest as he was commanded to do so by the Lord. He also lived under the year of release, a stipulation which required the Jew every seven years to forgive all the debts that were owed him. No matter if he had a mortgage or whatever, at the end of every seven years, he had to go to the person who owed him money and say, you don't owe me anymore. I'm sure there weren't too many long-term loans. You try to collect it in the first four or five years if you could, right? So the Jews had a very wonderful plan for taking care of that. And of course, it all came from God. He laid it out. He put it out there in front of him. Now, some folks come to me and they say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, I don't think I'm responsible to tithe because I'm not under the law. No, you just have been blessed so much more because you're on this side of the cross. You're under grace. And I just can't imagine somebody arguing from the perspective that they gave 10% for the things of the Lord under the law, and now that we're under grace, we don't have to do that. We can get by with three or four and feel good about ourselves. My friend, if we were required under the law to give 10% to the things of God, what in the world should be our attitude as members of the church of God in the economy of grace? St. Augustine, a church father who lived a long, long time ago, said, Our forefathers abounded in plenty because they gave God tithes. 
But now, because our devotion toward God has receded, the imposition of taxes has advanced. We were unwilling to share with God, giving Him the tenth, and now the whole is taken from us. The tax gatherer takes from us that which Christ was not able to gather. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to ponder what would happen even in our country, supposed American country of Christian influence, if God's people gave as they were responsible to do. So here in this chapter, we see that principle. Notice there was a purpose involved in this matter. First of all, in verse 34, we're told that they gave this way so they could submit to the law of God. Why did they give in this way? Why did they tax themselves? Why did they say, we're going to give so much and we're going to do it in such a way? Because when they read the Old Testament, this is what God said to do. And they just took God at his word. And they said, if God says we should do this and we want renewal in our lives and we want to have the sense of fellowship with God and having these walls build up around us isn't enough, but we want to be right inwardly, then if God says do this, we're just being naive enough to do it. And they did according to the law. Isn't it simple when we just boil it right down to the least common denominator to realize that if you're going to have the blessing of God upon your life and God says for you to do a certain thing in his word and you keep saying, no, I'm not going to do it, you can't expect to have the blessing of God if you're resisting God's directive will upon your life. There are many, many Christian people who are missing out on the blessing of God in their life because they won't take God at his word with regard to stewardship and giving. They just won't trust him. God promises that he'll meet our needs. He says he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And we say, no, I don't believe you, Lord. I got to take care of this myself. I can't give 10%. I can't make it now, Lord. I can't trust you. They not only gave with the purpose of submitting to the law of God, but they gave to support the house of God. Notice verse 39. They said, we will not forsake the house of our God. They were committed to the things of the Lord, and they made it a priority in their life. The last thing I want you to note in this passage is that there was also a place involved in this offering. In fact, there is one thing that you will find in every verse in this entire section, verses 32 through 39. And I'm not going to ask you to go through and figure out what it is, but I want to show you what it is. It's as if God wants us not to miss this. He's put this in every single verse in this entire context. In verses 32 through 39, you will find it in every verse. Now, you look at your Bible carefully. Verse 32, the service of the house of our God. Verse 33, and for all the work of the house of our God. Verse 34, and bring it unto the house of our God. Verse 35, into the house of the Lord. Verse 36, to the house of our God, in the house of our God. Verse 37, to the chambers of the house of our God. Verse 38, unto the house of our God. Verse 39, and we will not forsake the house of our God. I was kind of overwhelmed when I realized that in every single verse in this context, he mentions the place to which they are to bring the offering. And I want to say to you, without becoming too dogmatic about this, that God has always had a central place for corporate worship 
even though there are illustrations of many people worshiping God in various places and circumstances, the church has always been God's place in this dispensation. As far as I can determine, it has always been his place for assembly, and it is the only place I know that is mentioned in the New Testament where the people of God are instructed to congregate. Now, we have many parachurch groups that have grown up, but most of those people would tell you if we have only come into existence because the church that God instituted has failed to meet the needs. And therefore, we have come into existence to pick up some of the needs that have not been met by the church. And if you go back in history, you will discover that it is very interesting that in every place of history, no matter what dispensation you look at, God has always had a place. Cain and Abel brought their offering to a place. Shiloh was God's place. Jerusalem was God's place. The church in the New Testament is God's place. And God even has a place in the future, according to Revelation chapter 21. God has a place, and he wants God's people to meet in that place, and he wants them to bring their offerings and their tithes to that place. Somebody asked me not long ago, do you believe in storehouse tithing? Well, that's always a loaded question. Storehouse tithing. It says in the book of Malachi, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Does that mean that all the money I give has to go to my local church? No, I don't believe that at all. I think a better principle than storehouse tithing is what I've called priority distribution. It's over in the book of Galatians, and it says, as we have ability, we can give to all men, but especially to the household of faith. Our priority in giving ought to be to the place where our spiritual needs are met. If we want to give offerings in other places and send them off to ministries and all of that, then that's well and good, but we cannot be God's house, God's place, God's ministry center if God's people who have been committed to support God's work are spreading their money out all over the place and the work of God here locally is languishing because of no support. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, aren't you on the radio? And don't you encourage people to give to you on the radio? Oh, yes. But every time I get a chance, I tell them, don't you ever give us the money that belongs to your local church. The only money you should ever give to Turning Point, you give after you've given to the local church. God's work in the local church is the priority in his heart. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'd go someplace and do something else. I'd get out of the local church. A lot of times the local church is the hardest place in the world to serve God. But it is the one place God has promised to bless, and it has to be the place where God's people bring their gifts and their offerings as a priority unto him. These people came, and they brought their gifts to a place. I had the joy of going over to give the tribute to J. Vernon McGee, and it was a wonderful night just to remember that man. I got a big box in the mail from through the Bible, and it is one of the nicest gifts I have ever gotten. It is Dr. McGee's five-volume commentary on the Bible in leather-bound. It looks like five Bibles. They are beautiful. And I've just been going through them and looking at them. I love that old man. And I forget sometimes that he was a pastor for a while. You know, we know him as a radio preacher, but for many, many years he was a pastor. And so I just thought, I wonder what Dr. McGee has to say about Nehemiah 10, 32 through 39. And I looked it up in that leather-bound volume. 
He said, I remember when we attempted to remodel the church in downtown Los Angeles, California, where I served as pastor. The church in its long history had never been remodeled, and the seats, which numbered 4,000, were built to take care of people who lived 50 or 60 years ago. And we discovered that people today are about two and a half inches wider than they were 50 years ago. (laughs) So we decided to put in new cushioned seats. Listen to this. Some of the very pious folks said, we don't feel that money should be spent for cushions. We should give that money to missions. Now, the majority of the people wanted the cushioned seats, and I did too, so I made a proposition to the congregation. I said, there are so many people enthusiastic about remodeling that they are going to give enough money to cushion their seat and yours too. So those of you who don't want to pay for cushioned seats can give your $25 to missions. And I hope that we can take an offering today for several thousand $25 checks. Well, there were very few $25 checks. Because the truth was that the folk who were objecting to the cushioned seats never intended to give it all, and missions instead of cushions was their excuse. But what they said was, it isn't God's will to have cushioned seats. The time hasn't come to remodel the church. And I thought to myself, things never change, do they? They never change. Old Dr. McGee was fighting the same battles 50 years ago. We still fight today. As soon as you start talking to people about getting involved in the things of God, they start thinking of all the reasons why it isn't spiritual to do what God has continued to say over the years that all of us ought to be doing. There are wonderful blessings in knowing how the Bible is put together. For instance, recognizing that Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther all are kind of in the same period of time. Do you know who the prophets were that ministered to Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther? Let me tell you. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Of course, you know Malachi. That's the famous stewardship passage. But do you know Haggai? Turn with me to the book of Haggai, would you? And I know it's going to take some of you a while to find that. It's a very unvisited place in the Minor Prophets. And I need to remind you that Haggai was prophesying to the very generation of people that we're reading about in the book of Nehemiah. They'd come back and build up the walls of the city, and there was a group of them that had come back to build up the walls of the church or of the temple. And they came back so enthusiastic, and they couldn't help but get excited about how the temple was going to be rebuilt, and they'd be able to worship God again in the temple. And they got into it, and they kind of got discouraged, and so that the work stopped. They quit building the temple. And so the preacher, Haggai, got them all together, and he gave them a little sermon. And I'd just like to read it to you. In the first chapter of Haggai, thus came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, verse 3, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and you bring in little. Ye eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe, but there is no warmth. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Isn't that something? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because my house that is waste, and you run every man into his own house, 
Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men and cattle, and upon all the labor of hands. And Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. And Haggai the Lord's messenger spoke in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Did you hear what he said? He said, you aren't doing the work of God. You're keeping all this to yourself, and you bring it home, and it's like putting money in a bag that's got a hole in it. It doesn't go anywhere. You know, one of the big surprises you find when you begin to put priority on giving to God is that the 90% you live on goes further than the 100% you used to hoard. Most of us have discovered, especially if we have growing families, that no matter how much we have, it's never quite enough. There's always a little bit more that we need. But if we put God first, we can pillow our head at night, and we know that we have invited the blessing of God upon us as a family, and He's promised to take care of us. And when we cheat on God, when we don't give God that which belongs to Him, when we don't give to Him the priority, when we don't tithe to our local church as God has instructed us to do, All we do is we just invite all kinds of perilous things to happen that just dissipate the money we have because God isn't going to bless us if we ignore his instruction. There was a young soldier by the name of Page who was down in the sands of Egypt during World War II. When payday came, he took his tithe and he put it in an envelope and he sent it to his mother with a note that said, Give it to the preacher for the new Sunday school building so that when I come home, I can have a Sunday school room and not have to be in a class that meets in the auditorium. All of the boys in our class have wished for a room of their own, like the adults have when they meet. Two years later, the war was over, and this boy came home, and he called his mother and told her what train he would be on. And there were nearly a thousand people at the station to meet him. He didn't think the crowd was for him, and so when he got off the train, he began looking around for somebody important. And then his mother was in front of him, along with the preacher and a crowd of deacons. And after they had greeted him, they said, Now before you go home, we're going to take you by the church. There's something we want you to see. And they stopped his car in front of a beautiful educational building, and behold, carved in the marble above the door was the Page Building. He stood there astonished and confused, and he began to cry. They named this building after me? Why did they do that? And the preacher answered, I read that letter that you wrote to your mother, and I read it to the congregation one Sunday morning, and I held up the dollar bills you sent in your letter from the war zone, and the church took it from there. That letter and those dollar bills and your faithful stewardship built that building, and your name belongs on it. Isn't it something what one faithful person can do to begin a renewal. 
And I'm just praying that as we face the challenges of the future, that each and every one of us before God will face those challenges in our own hearts. Amen. Amen. Well, it's one thing to give our money, but on Monday, we're going to talk about giving ourselves for service. Uh, they go hand in hand. Some people think giving your money is more difficult to do than giving yourself. But if you think about it this way, when you give yourself, that includes your money. So we'll talk about what that means as we go to the 11th chapter of Nehemiah on the Monday edition of Turning Point. The weekend's ahead of us. Uh, I know that many of you are still in transition out of the the terrible things we've experienced over these months. We are seeing uh, just a wonderful return to the, the Lord's house here at Shadow Mountain, and it's so encouraging to me. I just was looking at the attendance report from last weekend as I came to the studio today, and it's the largest attendance we've had since all of this began many months ago. I hope you go to church Sunday and uh, that you get involved in serving the Lord. That's what we do. We encourage people to serve the Lord, and we'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is a blessing in your life, tell us about it by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code, 40 Scripture Prayers Every Believer Should Pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries, and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point's new 365-day devotional, Every Day with Jesus, is available now. Filled with inspirational readings from Dr. David Jeremiah and paired with Scripture, it will encourage you each day in your walk with God. This popular resource is yours with a gift of any amount in support of this program. And when you give a generous gift of $120 or more, you'll receive four copies so you can share them with others. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we're living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. God often gets blamed for not meeting our needs, but the problem may be ours, not God's. 
two teachings from Jesus and his half-brother James will help with a new perspective. First, James wrote, You do not have because you do not ask. And Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In both those passages of Scripture, the initiative is ours. It is up to us to ask and keep on asking. Yes, it's possible that God won't answer immediately, but it is still our job to ask. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's response to your initiative on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.